God, it is why we are here. Lord, forgive us when we only praise you during this time. Lord, you do so many cool things during the week that we get so distracted that we forget to say thank you. Lord, this is our humble attempt at setting aside some time to say thank you for all that you do for us all week long. Lord, help us to be more mindful of that all week long because you really do help us, strengthen us, encourage us, empower us. And we get so into ourselves, we think that it's us. And the reality is, I can do nothing apart from you. It is your spirit which lives in me, which helps me to go and do what I'm supposed to do. So thank you for this time. Help us in our hearts and verbally say thank you every opportunity we get. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you, Miss Connie. All right, Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to be. We're going to start a new chapter because I think we were in 14 for about four months. Felt like anyway, right? But chapter 15 starts off in a big flash, man. It is, it is a doozy. It's going to be good. It's super exciting. And it's something that we kind of all struggle with, I think, to some degree. Uh, there's all kinds of different areas that, that we're going to look at today. And one of the things that I think about when I read this passage that came to mind is when, when I was a kid and we would, uh, we, we played war. I know most boys know exactly what that means. You'd find sticks and make guns and you'd hide and you'd try to kill each other because that's what boys do. Now it's kind of elevated into a whole nother thing. But so one of the things that, uh, this older teenage kid would tell me, cause I was a young kid and I'd just run around without even thinking and get killed all the time. And he told me, he's like, think before you move. Now, I seriously was probably 10, 11, 12 when he told me this, and it has stuck with me all my life. Think before you move, because our thinking should inform how we live or how we act. And when we don't think, we generally find ourselves making bad decisions that puts us in a spot that we don't want to deal with the consequences that come from it. And in the world that we live in, really no consequences exist anyway. And yet they do. We just don't like to acknowledge it. And even if we don't see the consequences and acknowledge it now, when we stand before a holy God, those consequences are going to be far worse. And so now is important. It is vital for us to think about things, to consider things. And I've shared with you before that teenagers and young adults honestly don't develop that notion of thinking before they move. It's Something that comes a little bit later, but it, we shouldn't use as, as an excuse. We should stop, take a breath, and consider, when I do this, this might happen. Because our thinking helps kind of inform our acting. And our thinking comes from our being. And our being should control our doing. I know you hear that a lot. And you're going to continue to hear that a lot because it's the biggest struggle that we as believers face of making sure our thinking is in tune with the Spirit of God so that our being is where it needs to be to where as we do life, it reflects who we are internally and that is a child of God. And so thinking before we act, thinking before we move, thinking before we speak, what a novel idea. And so, idiot. That's one of those things right there. What a perfect example. Thought precedes action. 
Thought precedes action. And you're probably thinking, well, what about my impulses? Well, those impulses come from somewhere. You've processed a part of your baggage, a part of your life history, and it's caused you to react in certain ways when your buttons are pushed. And so we just say, well, that's who I am without any thought about, well, maybe I can correct that. So everything that we do generally has some thought preceding it. It's whether we acknowledge those thoughts or not. Because it comes from within, deep within. And those things that are deep within will creep out at some point in time. Even the secret dark things that we don't want to be known will eke out some way and in some form, somehow, someday. And Jesus, in the great fashion that he does helps us see where that really comes from. Because the Pharisees, the Pharisees are so awesome and smart, they think that they know it all, but Jesus quickly, quickly corrects them today. And he helps them to see that your thoughts actually precede your actions. All right, so here we go. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to read 20 verses today. And we're going to pick apart the story as we go through it. So we'll be breaking from the scripture a little bit here and there, a little bit more than what we normally do. But in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, again, this is after Jesus has done some phenomenal things. And if you remember last week, he's in um, the, the area of Gennesaret, and people are coming from all over to see him. Capernaum is about three miles away where he started his main ministry. Remember, turning the water into wine. And so this is widely known that this man, Jesus, does some phenomenal things. And so everybody's coming to see him. Well, in chapter 15, in verse 1, we find, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So let's talk about the Pharisees really quick so we have an understanding as to what's happening here. The Pharisees are important. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of two groups that developed out of the priests. The Pharisees believed that the law was the most important thing. They were very legalistic. we got to stick to these things. And the Sadducees were more about the relationship aspect. In fact, the Sadducees kind of died out around 70 AD because of their beliefs. They didn't believe in the resurrection, which kind of goes against everything that we believe. But the Pharisees developed this power and authority like nobody else because they stayed with the law. And everybody kind of liked that. But it morphed into this other, whole other thing, this monster that they lorded over the people in a very big way. And so the Pharisees are very important. They're the religious leaders of the day. Now, I want you to think about the distance traveled. Now, many of us probably have never been to Israel, so we have no idea how far it was that they traveled. And it astounded me when I studied it to realize these guys traveled a long way. To go from Jerusalem to where Jesus was at is about an 80 to 85 mile hike. They didn't have cars. Many of you are like, that's not a big deal, whatever. We're talking about a 20 to 24 mile day walk. That's about the, a day's walk. It was about three miles an hour a day. They would walk for eight hours. That was a day's journey when we see it in scripture. So this is a couple of days journey that these guys are walking. Why? Because they want to see this Jesus. Now it's interesting when they come to him, most of the time when we see the Pharisees interacting with Jesus, they're coming at him. 
They're always trying to trick him. This one is different. Notice what it says. They simply just ask the question. No trickery. No, as far as we can tell, no kind of inside line of what they're trying to do. They have a legitimate question. While they're there watching Jesus do his things and watching the disciples do their thing, they ask the question. The guys don't wash their hands before they eat. Simple question. It's an honest question. In fact, it was part of their law, the things that they had created. And he even they even admit it. It's our tradition that we are to wash the hands. Now, washing of hands was a big deal. It was a very ceremonial type thing. In fact, it started with the priests in the way that they were to do things. And the Pharisees took it even further and implemented it to the people. That this is what they should do. And some would say that it was three times that they had to have water poured over their their hands this way and then one or twice this way and once this way. There's a lot of other different ways that they had to do it, but it was important. And sometimes it didn't even matter where the water came from as long as you poured it the right way. So really, what is this about? Is it about cleansing and being clean or is it about following the rules and doing what everybody tells me to do? So we have to be very careful in looking at the Pharisees and the way that they're taking these laws. They are expounding it. And again, they say it is the tradition of the elders, not the law of God. Big difference. There was a lot in which the law of God was taken and made bigger and broader and a lot heavier than the way God intended it. And so we see the Pharisees asking a legitimate question after a very long journey. They want to know. They want to see what this guy is all about. Let's go back to the scripture in verse 3. So Jesus answers and says to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Fair question. I love the way that he does this. He doesn't even answer their question right off the bat. He's like, well, you break it all the time. Verse 4, for God commanded saying, honor your father, your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. So Jesus isn't quoting the tradition, he's quoting the law, God's law, the original law. But you say, Jesus says to them, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So here's, here's what that means. Jesus looks at him and says, okay, look, here's what you've done. You've taken the commandment of God that um, the children, as they get older and as the parents get older, the children's responsibility is to financially and emotionally and however the, they need to take care of their parents, provide for them whatever that might look like. And Jesus says, that's the law. That's what they're supposed to do. And he says, what you have done is you've created an out. You've created something extra that actually denies the obedience to the law. So here's the real issue. Oh, yeah. He says, it's not about washing the hands. You're trying to make it about silly things, traditions that you've made it about. In fact, there's a word in Mark 7, 11 that references what we just read. It's called Corbin. The vow of Corbin, it's the gift. And here's what the vow of Corbin is. If at some point I begin to not like my parents and I don't want to take care of them anymore, 
I can say, well, I am taking all of my assets and I am devoting it to God. Therefore, they are untouchable. I don't have to follow the law of God because I've taken the vow of Corbin, which the Pharisee says it's okay, which means everything that I have goes to the church, which guess who benefits from that? The priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. Convenient, huh? Very convenient. By the way, that's not why we preach tithing, just so you know. That's actually a biblical thing that Jesus talked about. And Jesus is coming at him and saying, guys, you're missing this whole thing. You're worried about the external. I'm worried about the internal. You have made this thing that as long as outside they're doing the right thing in their heart, they can be as evil and as conniving as they want to be. And you priests and you Pharisees and you Sadducees, you are making about as long as I'm following the law, my heart can be as wicked as it wants to be. You are too worried about the external and not enough about the internal. You're only worried about washing your hands. You know, raising my kids, it was always important for us to teach them to learn how to ask for forgiveness. So what do we do? They do something wrong and we say, Say you're sorry, right? And we force them and we make them and we almost, it's almost a ritual, which is fine because they're learning. But what a relief when your kids get to the place where you don't have to do that anymore and they realize that what they did hurt someone else and they own it for themselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, all you're doing is creating an atmosphere for people just to do and not worry about who they are. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who are more worried about fixing their internal. And when their internal is fixed, the external follows. You see, our world that we live in has it totally backwards. We think as long as we drive the nice cars and dress really nice and speak really nice and are really kind of people, then I must be a good person, therefore my heart is good. But the reality is, all of our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. None of us can trust our own selves. But when ourselves are submitted to a holy God and his spirit indwells within us and we become that child of the king and we want his spirit to lead us, then the external will mimic the internal and they will match, which is exactly what God wants for each and every one of us. You want to know why churches get a bad rap? Because Christians play the part. Christians play the game. They look really good. They sound really good. But they are mean as snakes. And deceitful. And cheaters. And liars. And hypocrites. We say one thing and we do another. That's pharisaical. And Jesus says, stop. Stop making sure your outside looks good. Forget about the outside. Let's get to the inside. And the inside will take care of the outside. Jesus does a masterful job as we see in the next few passages. In verse 7 he says, hypocrites. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees. Basically calling them out saying, you talk a good game, but your life does not reflect it. Your heart does not reflect what you're trying to get everybody else to do. Well, did Isaiah, uh, Isaiah prophesy about you saying, and now Jesus again is quoting the prophecy. 
which these guys would know backwards and forwards. And yet they missed the entire point when they would have studied it. They didn't realize that they were the very ones doing what Jesus is getting ready to quote. And here's what he says. The prophet Isaiah says this, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine, uh, doctrines the commandments of men. I want you to see this passage. I, I expounded it a little bit because sometimes when we see just portions, going back and reading all of it helps us. So here's what it says. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, therefore behold, I will do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. Now I want you to go back and look at that. Look what he says. He says they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by whether they follow the commandments or not. It's that thing of where my kids are fearful of me because I'm going to punish them or fearful because they respect and they want to honor me by doing the right thing. And the children of Israel got to the place where they were more fearful of breaking the laws of men rather than being in tune with God. And doesn't that sound like us sometimes? Well, I didn't read my Bible I didn't pray, which those are important, but if it becomes a ritual and something that is bigger than that relationship with God, maybe that's a problem. Well, we didn't sing the hymns like I want to, or we didn't sing enough praise music like I wanted to, or, or we didn't get to sit in pews and we have to sit in these chairs, or we didn't get to do how... Well, we focus more on what we want and what we think is best rather than what Scripture and God wants for us. What are we doing? What is this really about? And Jesus says, stop. God is speaking to the children of Israel. He's speaking through Isaiah and he's saying, listen, you are so far from me because you're missing the entire point. You are more worried about what you're doing rather than being with me. Allowing me to guide you, allowing me to work with you and help you. He goes on to say, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. He says, listen, these guys are smart. I get it. What they're saying is fine, I get it. But if you put more confidence in that and not in me, they're going to die off. It goes on. He says, woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us? Who knows us? You know where my mind went when I read that? Our nation. I'm untouchable. I can do anything I want and hide it and nobody will see it. And we've let it. We've let it happen. And it's happening. But let it not be said of the church. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it? He did not make me. Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. Where do we get the notion that we can look at God and say, you messed it up. You made me wrong. You put me in the wrong spot. No. <laughs> Your thinking's wrong. The outside influences, the things that you're allowing you to guide you, 
are wrong. You base it on man's interpretation and man's understanding. And the reality is to understand who we are and why we're here has to begin right here with a relationship with God. Has to. It's the only way that it's going to happen. And that is what God was talking to Isaiah saying, hey, let them know that at some point in time, the people that they think are smart, that are hiding their counsel by their lives, it's going to be played out. They're going to be known. And that is exactly where the Pharisees are, right here, right now. Verse 10. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. So now he's kind of turned his attention away from the Pharisees, not necessarily leaving them, but calling everybody that's around him up to him. He says, let me, let me, let me tell you something. He says, hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth This defiles a man. He says it's not about what you eat or what you drink that makes that defiles a man. It's what comes out of your mouth when you throw up. I'm just kidding. That's not it. It's the words that we use. It's the tone in which we speak. It's the lewd jokes that pop out. It's the irrational comments and the irrational responses that come out that is what dirties us listen i feel awful when i say something out of line to my coworkers or to my wife or to my kids i feel that because it's it it makes me feel gross it makes me feel yucky i don't like how it makes me feel because it came from something deep within that shouldn't be there It's what comes out of our mouths that defile us. He goes on to say, Then his disciples came and said to him, "Uh, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this thing? And I'm sure Jesus kind of smirked. And and maybe in the back of his mind he's thinking, Yep, (laughs) I don't care. But watch his response. But he answers and says, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now when it's talking about um, the plants here, it's talking about the truths, the, the, the commandments and the laws that these men have made. And you see lots of churches across our country that come up with these big things. If you'll do this, God will do this. If you live this way, God will bless you this way. Those are man's Ingenuities, creating things that really don't exist. They're taking scripture and making it into what they want to do, bigger than what God intended it to be. And God, Jesus, in this point, is looking at his disciples and says, hey, just wait just a second, let me, let me help you understand something. These things that these men are doing, these traditions that they're creating, they'll get uprooted at some point in time. So he basically looks at them and says, you know what? Don't worry about their being upset. Don't get bothered by the fact that they may be a little angry or that they were offended. Just leave them alone. Let them be, let them do what they're going to do because they can't see it anyway. If these were such the religious leaders, when he quotes this passage, they should have went, oh my, forgive me for being that person. But they didn't. They got their feelings hurt because it's different than what they wanted it's not going in the direction that they had hoped for and now they realize that this man jesus is on to them none of the other people that are following them are on to them who else has we seen in scripture that stood up to the pharisees like jesus did 
Verse 15, Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Good old Peter. <laughs> He's like, uh, can you help me out here? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And Jesus says, are you still without understanding? He's like, can you still not see the contrast? Well, what's the contrast here? What I want you to think about in last Sunday sermon and this Sunday sermon, the two different groups of people that came to Jesus, both groups came. One came knowing and acknowledging the specialness of Jesus and what he's able to do. The other group came expecting him to back their thinking. One group came expecting nothing but just hoping that God would do something. The other group came expecting God to do or Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. See the contrast? Big difference there for me. When I come to Jesus, if I come with my expectations and they're not met, then I get offended. I get my feelings hurt. God doesn't love me. I must be the worst Christian in the world. He's not on my side. Don't tell me you've never thought that. But when I come with an open mind, with an open heart, with my expectations, but with the notion that, you know what, those are my expectations. I want what you want. I am far less disappointed. In fact, I'm not disappointed. Because now my heart is becoming his heart. And he will grant the desires of my heart because it's not my heart anymore, it's his. I love that. So Jesus says, are you still not understanding? Verse 17, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? He's like, do you not understand how this works? When you eat your lunch, Peter, what happens? Well, I get full. Maybe belch a little bit. And then I have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. It's gone. It's done. It doesn't make you dirty. He says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. He's like, seriously, what goes in your mouth is going to exit at some point in time. But what comes out of your mouth comes from something deeper. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Think about that, guys. Where does adultery come from? Well, it comes from a, a lady catching my eye and I catch her eye and we start a conversation and then I cheat. No, it comes from my heart. It starts right here. It's not a happenstance. It's not a one-night fling. It starts in my heart. That's where sin comes from. And so when we sin, it should be a check in our spirit that something is going on deep within me. Jesus said, it's not the food that you eat that defiles you. It's the garbage that comes out of your mouth. Because it comes directly from your heart. Those thoughts come from your inner soul. Now we're not talking about your beating heart when I talk about heart. I'm talking about your mind, your will, and emotions that we, that we encompass in our heart. And those thoughts are what drive us to sin. And it's what comes out of us. I mean, seriously, let me read this list again. Evil thoughts... That doesn't exclude any of us. Murders. Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, then you've already committed murder. Well, I've never killed anybody. Oh, yes, you have. You've thought it time and time again. Adulteries. Well, I've never really cheated on my wife. 
Mm, careful. Or my husband, careful. Jesus says, if you look upon a woman to lust, then you've already committed adultery in your heart already. So therefore, I guess we could go to fornications would be the same aspect. Looking at pornography, thinking about it, practicing outside of marriage. Thefts. We don't think about stealing. That's, that's below us. How about your time at work or on taxes? Sorry. False witness. Where we change the truth just enough to save our honey. And blasphemies. Jesus says these are things are the things which defile a man. That's what makes us dirty. Not what you eat. It's not about whether you eat shrimp or crabs or crab legs or any of that. It's what comes out of your mouth. The thoughts. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. He's like, dude, seriously? So from now on, I'm never washing my hands again. Because Jesus said, I don't have to. That's what we do though, right? We read something that sounds good to us and we build a case to be able to stand on it when that's not what he's saying at all. So the focus of the Pharisees were all about themselves. They were worried because now if if people begin to see that that vow of Corbin is really of no effect, it's not something that they should be doing, now these Pharisees are going to lose out on money. They're going to lose out on people following them because Jesus is speaking in a new way. He's changing everything up. And the Pharisees are worried. They are more concerned about themselves rather than these people that are following Jesus coming to know God through him. And their focus is so wrong. They even admit it and acknowledge it right off the bat. What about our traditions of washing of the hands? Is that not important to you, Jesus? And Jesus basically says, not really. It's not about that. So their focus is all wrong. It's all about their traditions. And listen, I grew up traditionally. I like traditions. They're fun. But I can promise you, I'm not going to let traditions usurp what God shows me to do in our scripture. We have to be so careful with that. The focus of Jesus was what? It really wasn't even the Pharisees. He tells the disciples, listen, let them be. Let me talk with these people. Let me help you. The Pharisees won't see it. They won't hear it. His sole desire is to help people, to go with them, to teach them, to guide them, to help them. He was concerned about his disciples. And of course, he was concerned about the correct focus, the truth. I love that he takes the opportunity to say, listen, Pharisees, appreciate your tradition. However, what does the law say? And how are you breaking that? And what other laws are you breaking? Jesus is always focused on the doing versus the being. Again, I know we talk about this so much, but folks, I'm telling you, this is where the battle rages on. We Listen, I can do really well. I can put on a good front, and I can put up a good show. I can do a lot of things that I know ministry-wise that I'm supposed to do. But if my being is not driving that, if my being is not where it needs to be spiritually, then it means squat. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. That's what he's trying to help the disciples to see. Like, look, these guys are missing it. My being, my internal spiritual nature needs to be in tune with God In order for me to do what I am called to do. 
and the Pharisees, as long as I look good and do good, then I must be good. Does that sound familiar? Maybe even in some of the churches you grew up in. That's what it was for me. Until I realized that this was a relationship. It's a little bit different. It's not about just doing good. It's about being good. Jesus says the external, what you see on the outside is actually a symptom of the internal. Because the internal informs the external. Jesus is calling these guys out. He's like, look, what they're doing on the outside is a symptom of something that's going on in their heart. Because it is what comes out of our hearts to defile a man. So if we see something that we know is unscriptural, then maybe something is going on in that heart of that person. But we need not look too close at everybody else and forget to look at ourselves first. Again, that's what the Pharisees do. Pharisees love looking at everybody else. Those guys aren't washing their hands. Those guys are plucking weed off. They're eating it. How can you do that? How can they do this? And Jesus says, well, what about you? What are you doing? And so many times, let me give you an example. Used to when people would come at me and say, hey, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. Most of the time then I would have responded in defense and said, yeah, but you're doing this. And now what I try to do, practice regularly is keep my mouth shut, which is a lot of work for me, take a deep breath, and actually consider what they're saying to me. Because obviously they see something. So let's give it a little bit of merit, let's examine it, and let's examine our heart before God and through Scripture, and let's take what works and helps and throw away the rest. Pharisees don't do that. They got their feelings hurt when Jesus tried to help them see the error of their ways. We, when we come before a holy God, he might call you out a little bit. He might say, hey, do you remember that mean look you gave the worker at Walmart? Or the way you threw up your hand, minus a few fingers, at the person that stole your parking spot? How'd you do that? But God, you don't understand, I waited forever in that line, and I wanted that parking spot so bad. Really? Bad enough to react the way that you reacted? But God, you don't... And that's what we do. We wrestle, and we go after him, and we defend, instead of saying, you're right, what is it? Obviously, I don't see it. Reveal it for me. And that's the God we serve. That's the God that wants to help us. Let me, let me help you see some things That is so important for us. Because I think the very end of this passage, the verse where he says, For out of the heart proceed those evil thoughts. These are the things which defile a man. That is vital for us to understand. Here are some other passages that help drive that home. In Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. That makes sense, right? Yes? So if we're doing bad things, we may not be as good as we think we are. He says, for every tree is known by its fruit. Well, my goodness, that's a big statement just by itself. I want to be known as a good person. Therefore, I must live a life in Christ that reflects the fruit of the Spirit. Because there's no law against those. 
For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, neither do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of what? Say it with me. His heart. Not out of his mouth. His heart. Jesus is driving home so well. It all starts from within. From our being. If our being is not in tune with him, then we may not be as good as we think we really are. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I can speak in generalities... It helps me when I look at our world today, the whole world, to kind of see good from evil pretty quick. Not necessarily from the actions, but just simply what is coming out of people's mouths. And then there are actions that back up these things. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a saint and I'm perfect, nor does it mean that I need to pat myself on the back and say, well, you're doing pretty good, so just coast from here. Because my intentional relationship, my one-on-one relationship with Jesus does not allow for that. But for me, I am responsible for me. And if I want my mouth to say the right things, then I don't need to correct my speech. I need to fix my heart in the Spirit of God. Psalms 37, 30 and 31 says, The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Now, I want you to look at the last part of that first. It says the law of God is in his heart. We just said that out of our heart proceed the right things. So if the law of God, of loving God first with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves resides in our heart, then what comes out of that should be righteousness and goodness. In fact, our steps will not slide. Can we please stop playing the game of, well, this is what Facebook says, this is what my family says, this is what my old church says. Can we just say, this is what God has said to me? Can we please get away from the things that we think we know and get back to actually knowing what we should know and allowing the Spirit to drive us in doing and living correctly? Okay, thank you. That worried me just a little bit. Like, seriously, like, at some point we got to get a little serious about this. And I'm not saying that we're not. I'm just saying the world we live in is getting worse. We have to match our game and let it rise to where it needs to go. Because we're going to have to be on point. We're going to need to know this frontwards and backwards because there's going to be a lot coming at us that we need to be able to tell the difference and to know truth. Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. Sin is the outward stuff that's going on. And if my heart is hiding the word of God, it's protecting it, it's, it's holding it close, it's staying quiet with it, it will help me to not sin. Yippee! I get tired of the guilt and the shame when I goof up. I don't like how I feel when that happens. And if I can hide his word, his guidance, his laws, his own spirit within me, 
it will protect me and keep me in the direction that I need to go. James 3, verses 9 through 11 is one of my favorite passages talking about the tongue. Here's what he says. With it, meaning our mouth, our tongue, we bless God our Father and with it we curse men who have made who have been made in the similitude of God. So we come to church on Sunday morning and we praise God for the hour and 15 minutes that we're here. And we do a good job with that. And we really feel it. We really are intentional. But the moment we leave here, we've got six more days to just light people up. And James says, no. Those people that you're lighting up have been made in the image of God. By the way, just like you. He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Our mouth is the wellspring. Our mouth brings, is the giver. It can give life, can bring life, can encourage life. But if our hearts aren't where they need to be, it will spew junk. Matthew 15, 18 through 20 says this, But those things which proceed out of the mouth, again, Come from the heart. Read it with me again. You ready? Here we go. Let's start right at the first. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Now, we're going to change it a little bit. When we get to out of the mouth, we're going to say out of my mouth. And come from my heart and they defile me. But those things which proceed out of my mouth come from my heart and they defile me. You see, when we can take the scripture, and we can't always do this, we have to be careful with this, but when we can personalize it, it helps us see who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to me. He says, for out of the heart proceeds all those things, the evil thoughts, the murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things, not what you eat. Those are the things that proceed out of your mouth. Those are what defile a man, not washing or not not washing your hands. Your thought precedes your action because our external action comes from within and it begins with thoughts and folks if we can't get this under control we are going to be in the world of hurt it is our lifelong journey and it will be a lifelong struggle but it should be the goal of every one of us to be so in tune with christ to be so in tune with his spirit that our internal begins to inform our external here's some questions i have for you number one What traditions have a stronghold in my life? What things am I holding on to that I believe are gospel truth that are not? And let's get rid of some of those things. Some of those things can be very binding and very hurtful to your Christian walk. But make sure that as you're getting rid of them, that you're actually not getting rid of something that comes from here. Test it. Take, for instance, my mom's not here, so I can say this. Love you. Because you're probably watching at home. <laughs> She's on me all the time about wearing my hat. You got to take it off when you eat. You got to take it off when you pray. You got to take it off when you're preaching. Listen, if I, if I knew you guys wouldn't run me out, I'd preach in a hat. Not much in here about that. But it's a tradition for my mama. So I have to follow it. 
You're not helping me, Patrick. <laughs> but what traditions? That's a silly example. But there are many, many church traditions that we have that we've kind of created from some other biblical truth and morphed it into something that it doesn't need to be. And maybe even in your own life, you're holding on to things like that. What are they? Let them go. Take them to the Lord and say, do I need to hold on to this or do I need to let it go? And see what he says. Here's the second thing. Which commands my attention more? Internal living, the being, or the external, the doing? What do you pay attention to most? Are you more worried about what people are seeing and how you're living outside and not really taking care of the inside? Or maybe have you seen this morning that if you can take care of your inside, your outside will be what it needs to be. And lastly is this, as the praise team comes, what does Jesus see that others do not in my life? What am I doing? What am I holding on to? How am I living that nobody else may notice it? But I can promise you and assure you with 100% confidence Jesus does. But I can also, with 100% confidence, say, Jesus wants to help you with it. He doesn't want to leave you in that spot. He wants to take you further than you could have ever thought you could go. Listen, our God loves us more than I could ever tell you. He loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And to be dead. And to be buried. For a couple of days. And then in glorious fashion, rise again. And was on the earth for about 40 days. Seen by over 500 people for sure. And then went to heaven waiting to come back to get us. Now that may be sooner than we think. But it may not be. And whether he comes tomorrow, whether he comes right now, or whether he comes a thousand years from now, shouldn't matter to us. What matters is right now, am I right? With him. That's what matters most. And for many of you, you may never have said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I I want you to be Lord of my life. I, I recognize that my sin is keeping me from you, and I want to be in relationship with you, and I confess my sin to you today, and I ask you to be Lord of my life. You may have never, ever prayed that prayer. Today could be your day. Right where you're sitting, it's as simple as that. It's a simple acknowledgement that I am a sinner and I need you, Jesus. And simply say yes to him and see what happens. For some of us, this might have hit home in a big way. That our internal really isn't matching the external. In fact, it's showing signs of things and symptoms of things that really doesn't need to be there. Maybe this morning it's a simple prayer of, God, you know what? I I feel something and I know you're messing with something, but I'm not quite sure what you're trying to point out. Be patient with me this week, but point it out and let's work on it. Give him permission to do what your loving, kind, patient, caring Heavenly Father can only do. And for those of us that maybe a little bit further along in our walk and we're feeling pretty good, maybe we just need to pray for protection from pride and overconfidence in our walk. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, you just are now. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you so much. It is so much fun to dig into your word and to share it. It is so much fun to watch you move in hearts and and to affect people. But Lord, we have a responsibility in all of this. You have done your part already. 
may we do our part in coming to you. Help us to stop waiting for you. Help us to stop waiting for you to come to us. God, help us to show some initiative and some gumption. Get up off of our feet and go to you and hit our knees before a holy God. In fact, I know that you'll meet us halfway most of the time. Because that's the God you are. You tell us as we move towards you, you move towards us. And so for those that are a little bit weary this morning about making this decision to follow you, I pray that you would help them take a step towards you today. For those that are struggling with the internal versus the external, I pray that you would reveal to them those things that they're holding on to. Maybe it's old traditions, maybe it's sins, maybe it's things they didn't even know. But God, graciously help them to be courageous in fixing those things through you. And for some of us, God, we've lived a, a good life, a long life, got lots of life experience and we feel good about it Lord help us to be careful of pride sinking in help us to be humble before you realizing that it is you that has allowed us to be where we are today God real quick be with our nation this week it's a mess and it could get worse but it may get better who knows So we come to you because we know you do. And we know that you can calm our fears and our anxieties and allow us to see you at work some way, somehow. Lord, we ask that you heal our land, but that it starts with us owning our own mess and coming before a holy God as humble as we know how. We love you, we praise you, and thank you in Jesus' name.